cliffcentral.com. Good morning. This is Sonia Booth, Opinion Booth, and today's topic is femicide. Yes, I know conversations have been had for the last two weeks around the hashtag man of trash, um, not in my name, hashtag not in my name, that is, and, um, and, uh, femicide. Um, but we can never have enough of these conversations because femicide in particular is a scourge that is occurring at a disturbing rate. And uh, the title for today, today's show is um, Can Girl and Woman Empowerment End Femicide? And Can Matriarchy and Patriarchy Coexist? Somebody who's going to help me with these conversations today, my studio guest for today is Marang Sitswayelo. Did I pronounce your surname Perfect. properly? Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, Marang's Twitter bio reads publicist, entrepreneur, girlfriend, magazine, reality TV, news, and internet junkie. She's also a feminist, according to her Twitter bio. She's a lover of Africa, and she's a media maven in general. Is all that bio still describing you perfectly? Pretty much. Nothing's changed since. So you're happy you're not going to change that? No. Nothing's no, we changed? We on that basis. You're still a lover of Africa? Very you're much You're still so. a feminist? Very much so. Okay, and... Being a feminist, I mean, there's a reason why it's highlighted on my notes here because um, I am wanting to pick your brain on mm-hmm. the above topics, um, especially under your, I don't want to call it a title because being a feminist mm-hmm. is not a title, right? Mm-hmm. But for a lack of a better word, I'm going to be focusing on Marang, the feminist. Cool. So, I mean, as I said, Marang, we... It's exhausting, mm-hmm. right, to be talking and discussing the same issue time and time again. But as women, there's no escaping such conversations. This is it. It's exhausting to talk about it, but it's more exhausting to live it, isn't it? You know, to live in a world where you literally do not feel safe. So in many respects, it's something that we have to talk into action. And I know people are quite frustrated around the fact that there's, you know, the hashtag. But, you know, the hashtag in many respects has been, like you said, trending for two weeks. But how long has violence against women and children been trending in the world, never mind South Africa. So absolutely let's talk about it. Let's let's, you know, move the talk into action and get to a place where we actually begin doing something about it. Yeah, I agree. And um I mean there's a, a comment here which um goes femicide conveys the misogynistic and sexist motivation behind much of the killing of women and girls. For example, Men that kill women may be motivated by their socially constructed right to do so. Socially constructed right to do yes. so. Their superiority, superiority mm-hmm. over females, pleasure or sadistic desires towards women, or the assumption of ownership over women. Now, my question to you, Marang, your first question, would you say this behavior is almost accepted as normal in our country. I think it is, um, in that if you even look at the way, and it starts very, very young. You know, if you're a girl child in a family and you have a brother, for example, you might find that for whatever reason, he might be years younger than you are, but as the girl child, there's an expectation that you do more of the work. In some situations, you're expected to almost serve your brother simply because he's a boy child. So implicit in that is a message that is being sent to you as a girl from your people who you love the most, who are most powerful in your life at that stage, your parents, that the boy child is more important, that your role is to serve him. So whether it means that he gets the lion's share of opportunities or whatever, 
at that and just that's at the very micro level at home, but it's also a very powerful space to start learning implicit things that you begin to internalize without even realizing it. Um, and it goes on, you know, when you, when you were out in the world as girl children or as women, you'll see how privileges are reserved for men. Some of these are obvious, others are unspoken. We learn it, you know, as young women, even in our interactions with young men, you know, when a guy is asking you out, you'll find, you know, you'll say, well, I like you. And if you're, you don't reciprocate that, it's almost as though your feelings are invalid. And the point is, but I said, I like you. And you're the one are like, well, that's all very well and I'm flattered, but I don't like you back. And somehow that's not part of the issue at all. It's not part of the formula. So there's so many ways in which we see it in the workplace also, how for whatever reason, a guy who is less talented works much less harder, but just somehow seems to have a better rapport with the bosses or is just, there's just an implicit understanding that the boys should be promoted more, that men should earn more. And, you know, once upon a time, and it still happens where bosses would blatantly tell you that, well, he's got a family to deal with. If you're a married woman, when are you've got a husband, you know, so your husband can bring home the bacon. We can afford to pay you less. You can afford to earn less as a woman. And it's not about what you're bringing to the workplace all of a sudden. It's about what at home is taking place. So in all these things, in so many different ways, society communicates to the girl child, to the woman that you are less, you are worth less. Sometimes it's explicit, often it's very implicit to the point that you, you end up internalizing these things and yourself practicing them in the way we raise our daughters and the way we treat each other as women. So it's, it's insidious and it's very, very powerful. Wow. Sure. Truth is, femicide affects everyone. Loss, traumatic grief, mm-hmm. poor health, mm-hmm. compromised functioning at school or work, mm-hmm. loss of income are some of the impacts experienced by those affected by the murder of all women or girls. That are, that are close to them And sadly The vast majority of all murders Of women are femicides mm-hmm. It's very telling It says a lot It is. It's, I mean, so it's intimate, it's people that you know People in your world, in your circle That says so much I know, and, and I mean South Africa's femicide rate Is five times higher Than the global average mm. Which is quite telling Very scary Intimate partner femicide which is the most serious form of domestic violence mm-hmm. Is the leading cause of the murder of women Are we surprised? <sighs> Not really Because in many respects When you see in this country you know, If you look legislatively We're in a very good place Constitutionally we're in a fantastic place I think we're you know, in many respects Where the world is concerned amongst the best But just in the way that we socialize boy children that m- The way men are socialized It doesn't surprise me at all um, and in the way that, for example, from a policing perspective, we hear it so many times. I went to report a case of, you know, of rape. I went to report a case of domestic violence. And how many times have the police said, well, you know, go back and work it out. Is he your boyfriend? So even at that level where the law literally is very clear and prescriptive, the, the, the defenders of the law, the police themselves are in on it because they themselves are agents of patriarchy. So it doesn't surprise me in that one of the countries, we are one of the countries that legislatively, constitutionally is in an amazing place where women's rights are concerned. But in the practice, we are woefully falling short. Hmm. Now, the, the, the next statistic is going to shock. Well, I, it, it shocked me mm-hmm. and, um, um, I don't even know why it's, it's, it's shocking. Eastern Cape and mm. Limpopo have the highest number of domestic violence, um, cases. Mm-hmm. Is it coincidence 
considering the fact that Eastern Cape and Limpopo happen to be the poorest provinces? Yeah, I was about to ask exactly that, like, because we, we all know that where poverty intersects with sexism, it becomes a very poisonous combination. So it doesn't surprise me in the least. Um, and in many respects, where you look at situations where women are more empowered economically, they're freer to then exit situations that are harmful to them. But where you are literally trapped by poverty in a situation, um, you become a victim to that. And we know what poverty also does to the mind. We know the frustration and the grinding hopelessness that that does. So that's its own story right there. So no, it's not surprising in the least that in the poorest areas are where um, violence against women and children are the highest. It, it, it actually makes sense, you know, to be uh, cynical, but it does. Hmm. And I mean, there, there is only a 1.11% chance of conviction of perpetrators mm. of intimate femicide. 1.11%, yeah? That is so depressing. It is. Consequently, far too many men believe they can commit violence with impunity mm. and even get away with murder. Because they, they do. <laughs> There's the stat. <laughs> yeah. And, and we, we're laughing about mm. and because it's, it's, it's hilarious, but not funny, mm, if that it, makes sense. Yeah, you, I think you saw us, we laugh to keep from crying because it is, it's so disturbing when you literally realize that men are getting away with murder, literally getting away with murder every single day. And I mean, you give me that, that stat, and we know that so many of these cases are underreported. So many women just go missing and, you know, it, it never even reaches the police that they've disappeared off the face of the earth. So this is the based on what's actually been reported and has gone through the systems 1%. Now, how many more, if you were to take a look at how many women actually were killed by their intimate partners in this country, what that number actually would be looking at, and then take the statistic of, of that total, how many made it to conviction? Well, probably like 0. 0.0001. So we have a crisis. It is actually a crisis. And I don't mean to be alarmist, but for me, in a country that is so clear about women's rights, where we have that kind of statistic around the the murder of women by their intimate partners, there's there's something profoundly wrong. And I mean, these statistics um, could could even be. I mean, I don't I don't know if they can get any worse. But let's not forget that a lot of women don't actually even bother uh, bother to to report um, mm. abuse from their partners mm. because I, I've heard of uh, stories. Um, one particular story is actually chilling of um, a young woman who went to a police station and a female police officer, um, after this uh, young lady had told her that uh, she was there to report um, uh, rape by mm. her live-in boyfriend, the first question from a female cop, a female cop, was, what were you wearing? Mm. You guys need to mm. need to sort it out. If if you if your partners, yeah. you can't. You, you he's your living yeah. boyfriend. How can you come here and claim that he raped you? Mm. It, why is it so difficult for people to understand that just because you're my boyfriend, or just because you're my husband, um, if I'm not in the mood, and I say no, not tonight, why? Is society making it okay or justifying the fact that he's my live-in boyfriend, whether it's through Fatinset or mm. whether we, you know, um, he's paid Lobola, he hasn't finished paying Lobola and we, we, we can live together because customary, uh, by customary law, we, we considered married or the fact that he's, he's my husband. Why are we struggling with that? Why, why do we struggle with, um, the, you know, the fact that when I'm not in the mood for it, and you force yourself on me, married or not, partner or mm -hmm. not, rape is rape. There's a sense, I think, of 
you know, the male child is brought up to believe implicitly. And again, this is, I don't think anyone says to their son growing up, women belong to you. I don't think anyone articulates it in that way as they're bringing their child, children up. No. But in everything that they see around them, they are taught that if a woman is your partner, she belongs to you. She's literally yours to do with as you wish. And that's where it stems from. So when, when you as a woman say, I'm not in the mood or I don't want to do this or I'm leaving you, I'm done with this relationship, there's a sense of, well, you're not the one to make that decision. It's, this is my decision to make. You are the owner. I mean, you are the only, I, I own you, not vice versa. Um, and ideas of also like the ego and toxic masculinity then take over. So instead of being like, well, I'm disappointed to hear that, but you know, fine, do you? It turns into a violent altercation where worst case scenario, a woman ends up dead. Um, so it, it, it is, again, it's implicit in the way that men in this country are socialized and it's implicit in the way men speak to each other. You know, as women, there's certain ways that we speak to each other when we have issues, we have problems. Um, the way males connect is very, very different. Um, it's not considered masculine uh, to share your feelings of disappointment or vulnerability, etc., etc. So they bury that deep inside. Um, and you'd rather, you know, communicate with a, a raised fist than with your voice to say, I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, I'm feeling vulnerable. So just the way men are brought up, the way they're socialized, and often by their mothers also, you know, boys don't cry, that kind of thing. It adds to it, to, you know, and it sends a message that you must never, never, ever, as a boy child, show any kind of vulnerability. You must always communicate through force. Um, that must be your language. Um, and all of this adds up to create a, a situation of really a toxic environment within which we are engaging with each other as different genders, which is then what leads to this kind of thing where a woman cop who has, if not even the socialization or the empathy as a woman, you would think she has the training as a police officer not to ask that question. But again, my, it goes back to the question of what is the training? Because I think that's another like bugbear in the room where the police are concerned, the training. What is the training? What is the sensitivity to the point where it doesn't even surprise us anymore when we hear that police t- turned away uh, people trying to report um, abuse or you know or, or rape or whatever. It's a regular occurrence. We know it. The horrific story about the woman who was gang raped by the taxi with her. She was her, she had a little boy with her, um, abducted, and the story of how she went to something like it was incredible. Three to four police stations, and she kept being told, "No, no, no," as though she was at home affairs. No, you're, you're at the wrong, you know, Shocking. station. Go to that one. Go to that one. In my mind, a police station is where you go to report a crime. Exactly. What the crime is is a detail. Why am I being told to go to this station because that's where they're dealing with, you know, violent crimes against women? So that to me is also like, how is this set up? Because by the time I get to you as a police, having been a almost immediate victim of abuse of rape, I just want help from you. I don't want bureaucracy. I don't want to be told to go there because we don't deal with this at this. So there's a lot, I think, that the conversation needs to happen around how it is the police are structured, how are they trained, sensitivity training, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's a lot. You know, <laughs> it's it's... It's, it's, it's sad. I mean, we, we, we have, um, Minister of, uh, Police who's very, very much, um, active on Twitter. Very um, vocal, I'm sure, very I'm sure you would know that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was amazed, uh, that w- during the reshuffling, uh, that he, you know, as a police, police minister, the first tweet that came out, uh, from him was that feel free to report any, any crime to me. Mm. And, a couple of days ago, there was a, a young a young girl um, uh, who was 
supposedly um, missing. Mm. The mother um, had asked a few of her, of her friends um, from different uh, WhatsApp groups that she belonged to and her work colleagues to say, listen, my daughter's been missing for the last couple of days. So being mothers, being friends, um, being active members of uh, society, or well, at least we try to be anyway, we try to get involved mm-hmm. because you, do, you don't want to sit back and pretend like, you know, uh, it, it doesn't really affect you because truth is this can happen to Absolutely. any mother, right? Mm-hmm. This can happen to any sister mm. um, or whoever that uh, happens to be, uh, well, supposedly uh, the, the care, caregiver um, to, to that particular child. So, I mean, we went on retweeting what the mother had uh, tweeted mm. about, you know, the description of the girl. This is the last place that she was seen. And I was particularly disturbed by... A, a, a comment from a woman There again A woman, right? Asking this question Which I thought was rather bizarre mm-hmm. Or strange or even stupid And so she, uh, Rami I'm sure you know Rami Yes, yes I uh, do. Rami, an, an, an actress um, mm-hmm. she, She's also here on uh, She has a slot on yes, uh, Cliff Central right. as well And so she, she had been, you know uh, giving information on Twitter just to spread the word, and one of the things that she did was that she actually uh, copied the uh, minister Figile Malula on one of the tweets to yes. say, "Listen, um, th- apparently this girl was last seen with so and so. Can we see how we can help, or can mm. you please do something about this?" So this young girl uh, tweets Rami back saying, "Why would you tweet the minister of police? Did you go to the police station?" And I couldn't help myself but respond to this girl to say, but hey, hang on, the minister of police himself is a custodian, <laughs> is a custodian, and mm. he himself told us on Twitter yeah. that report every crime. Mm. So then, the point I'm trying to make is that I get a sense, or I can't help but feel that many a times, it's woman and woman hate. Mm. I mean. I go back again to this female cop who asked, what were you wearing mm-hmm. when you were raped? This woman now giving Rami a hard time to say, did you go to the police station? I mean, why would Rami go to the police station? Uh, yeah. Rami was just helping yeah. to spread the message. The yeah. mother obviously would have gone to the police station to report the daughter. Right. So it's, it's, it's sad that we, we've become a society where, um, you know, you hear about you know, conversations women have that women don't support uh, women mm-hmm. initiatives and all of that. But I'll, I'll park that uh, for now. <laughs> we'll revisit it. Sure. I, I it's know a, it's, 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 it's going to come, yeah. come up. It's going to rear its ugly head again. Yeah. It's going to come up. And it up. must be addressed. Yes. Because it's a thing. Yes. Mm. So, Women learn that there is a series of boundaries in the physical and social worlds which they must not cross if they wish to remain safe. Is this a case of know your place, stay in your lane, don't undermine my authority, and you will be safe? It certainly is. Um, it, you know, women are very policed. Our bodies are very policed. Um, and there's certain things that you learn quite young as a girl child not to do, certain places you learn not to go. If you're going to be there, don't be there alone. Um, because should anything happen, the first questions, unfortunately, are, well, what were you doing there? You know, why were you on earth were you there alone after this hour? So in many respects, it's a self-protecting thing. And it, it literally, it infringes on your freedom in really real, real ways. Um, I remember when I first moved to Joburg, I was 25 years old. And I was intensely frustrated by how, how circumscribed my, my movements were. 
in this city. I'd lived in a city where I could literally walk alone on the street at 11 o'clock at night, at midnight, at 2 a.m. alone and be fine. Um, and this is a major city. This is New York. I lived in Brooklyn and it was absolutely fine. And you move to Joburg and everyone is, it was just like, don't, you can't do this. You can't go there. You can't be in this neighborhood. So, so it literally restricts your freedom of movement, of association. You can't be go certain places alone. Sometimes you just want to be on your own. You don't necessarily like, I, you know, I enjoy people's company, but I also quite like being on my own sometimes. And it just became a very frustrating thing. But it's something that I've learned to live with. It's been years um, since then. I, and I've just, you know, I've learned to just to deal with it because practically speaking, it's not worth it, uh, frankly, to try and venture out on your own in those ways, to try and be free. Because it's a, a, what, you know, what, what's the cost of that freedom mm. that you're insisting on? So, yes, we are, as women, told a lot to stay in our lane implicitly just because if you don't, dot, dot, dot. And if that does happen, the worst case scenario does happen, there is an understanding unspoken sometimes, but it is hanging there. That, but when, what on earth were you doing there? <laughs> what, 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 what on earth were you doing at that place, at that time, with that person or on your own or, or, or what were you doing in that hotel room with this man? You should really have known better on this street, on your own, you know, in that neighborhood after this hour. And it goes on and on and on like this. So yes, absolutely. And we're told to stay in our lane, keep, you know, Keep to our place And that lane is very narrow That place is very small It's very frustrating hmm. So um, I, I want to I wanna challenge um, A guy by the name of Zach Buddha Who posted this on, on Facebook um, This is his comment You deny him pleasures And you talk too much You lose influence and power Men have no business listening to a non-starter. How would you respond to Zach Buddha? I deny him pleasure. You deny him pleasure so and you talk too much. <laughs> so implicit in that Zach statement is that I owe him pleasure. He's entitled to my pleasure. And I just fundamentally disagree with that altogether. I have signed no contract with anybody that I owe them. And no, no woman has. Not even in the marriage contract has a woman said... She owes her husband pleasure and vice versa. So that statement to me is completely invalid and is at the heart of what is so wrong with toxic masculinity. The idea that men are denied pleasure by women saying no. Nobody owes you jack. No woman owes you anything. Nothing at all. You talk too much. Well, then leave the room. If I'm so noisy, exit. That is an option available to you. You don't have to smash a fist into my face to shut me up. That's actually an option available to you. Walk away. I think too many times in this country, men don't just make the decision to walk away from situations that they find annoying or unacceptable. Instead, they choose to speak with their fists and get violent. And that is totally unnecessary. But if effectively, that whole statement to me is just kind of like, yeah, you are the problem. You, you're an <laughs> exemplar of what the issue is. Zach. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that's Bless how I, your heart. That's why I put you on the spot <laughs> to, to address him because, you know, when he posted this, I, I, I warned him and I said, you know what? You've actually just given me mm. a topic for my next show and thank you very much mm. for, for content, you know? Mm. Um, exactly. And, and I said, you, you're gonna most probably regret, uh, posting this because my guest, um, is a very astute woman who is going to, <laughs> Rip your head apart, and we're not finished with you, Zach. By the way, um, you, you yeah, gonna, I would like him to examine that statement of his to really make us understand what he means by "you deny me pleasure." Like, let us. I would like Zach to tell us what that's about. Zach Why did, he did 
um, promised to yeah. phone in into the show. So okay. if, if he does call, because uh, he promised to listen to the show and, okay. and to phone in. So if he does phone in, I'm going to direct him uh, straight Fine. to you because I, I just couldn't. I mean, we went on and on and on on this conversation mm. and I thought, you know what? I'm going to leave you in the capable, uh, capable hands <laughs> of Morang because I, I know she's, she's going Bring to it. She, she's going to. <laughs> Rip you apart It's very simple this thing Come, I know, come I through know. Yeah So I mean You know On on that topic Do you Do you feel um, Do you feel Deeply entrenched uh, Patriarchal attitudes Being violence Against women and children An almost accepted phenomenon They are I think so I mean you spoke now um, A few minutes ago About how Women are often The worst Examples um, of violence against women Just in their actions and their deeds And that's an example to me of exactly that How entrenched patriarchy is that even as women We internalize it um, And there's a phrase that th- those kind of women Are uh, patriarchy's handmaidens You know, and there's a special place In hell for women who do not support other women So yes, it's a very real thing You know, you I'm sure your girlfriends have told you about Horror stories in the corporate place Workplace, um, where Women that they thought would have championed them, their their bosses, their superiors, have actually been the ones who've been most, you know, destructive and demoralizing to them in the workplace. It's a real thing. So for every woman who has empowered you, who has supported you, who has nurtured you, you have a horror story of a woman who's just totally been about your destruction. And in that is, you know, what you have there is a woman who has literally swallowed the Kool-Aid of patriarchy and has this idea that women are problematic and she's, you know, worse than any man could because she's a woman participating in your suppression, in your oppression as another woman. You know, we, we always say that there's no one who knows how to twist the knife in as deep as another woman. You know, we know exactly where it hurts. We know exactly where to get one another. So, um, and that to me is a very painful and dangerous, uh, result and consequence of patriarchy, certainly. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. The the former president of um, Ireland, Mary Robinson, said Women, women's empowerment is vital to stop men-inflicted violence. We have to address the equality and empowerment of women as part of this. We have to value women's rights in every country. The world has to give a sense to the girl child that she is just as important as her brothers. You touched on girl empowerment. Mm. Early on. Mm-hmm. So my question now to you is that do you strongly believe that girl and woman empowerment can end femicide? Um, I think it's one of the most important factors um, in ending women, uh, femicide. I do, however, think that what will really end femicide is when men learn not to kill women. That's that, you know, because we can be as empowered as we want to. Um, however, as long as men aren't conscientized to stop thinking of women as their possessions, we're getting nowhere. And which is why I particularly like the, the wave that's going on as we speak, where it's, you know, the ball has been thrown back into men's courts to say, you know what? This is your monster. You have created it. Fix it. We are not the ones killing. We are not the ones raping. It is you. Overwhelmingly, it is you who are the problem in this regard, as it were. Figure this out. Speak to one another because we are tired. Women have been marching, have been activists, have been at this since time immemorial. It doesn't seem to be shifting. And so from a point of, yes, is women empowerment necessary? Is it effective? Absolutely. But what we really need is for men to come to the party, for the good men amongst us to take responsibility and start opening their mouths and saying something, start expressing themselves to be saying no. Because silence is 
a point, you know, when you, when you stay silent, there's something that you're saying in your silence. So as long as the good guys are keeping very quiet, they're saying it's okay. The situation is acceptable. Until you open your mouth and say it is unacceptable. As men, can we just stand up and make a change here? That to me is what will really uh, be the tipping point. That's what will change things worldwide is when men take ownership of this struggle and do something about it. Mm. Because you do have a thing where as women become more empowered, men become more threatened. And it's because they're not being conscientized at the same time to say, the fact that I'm becoming empowered does not mean you're, I'm disempowering you as mm. a man. You're not less of a man. No. Yeah. no. So as a, as, as a feminist, mm. do you believe that matriarchy and patriarchy can coexist? Um, the reason I ask you is because I'm curious um, how you would raise your boy child and I'm curious how you would raise your girl child. Mm. Look, as systems, I don't think that uh, patriarchy or matriarchy need necessarily, uh, I think they can coexist devoid of the toxic part of it. So patriarchy in particular, when it becomes a dominant thing where the idea is that the males of our society must dominate women is problematic. But in a society where we are allowed to be who we are, you know, where women are allowed to be who they are in their and there's a million different ways to be a woman also, you know, um, and men are allowed to be who they are. And there's a million different ways to be a man. And this idea that a man is stern and masculine and, and, and strong physically in these ways is very damaging and is very, very toxic. Men can be soft. Men can be nurturing. Men can be sweet and vulnerable. Um, and women can be very, you know, stereotypically masculine. That's that's one way of being a woman. So this idea that we prescribe about what a woman is and what a man is, is very harmful. It's very harmful to all of us because it doesn't tell the truth and people feel the need to suppress who they really are, which itself is a kind of violence. So in terms of matriarchy and patriarchy, I don't, like, I don't subscribe to any one or the other dominating. I, I, I want a situation where we can all coexist and be in our true selves, in our true skins, whoever it is we are as men and women, because also gender is so fluid. You know, there's this uh, saying that between male and female, there's something like the gray area of something like 60 to 80 different identities. So there's also there's that, that complexity, which we'll discuss in another show. Yeah. I'm not really the person who's best um, <laughs> equipped to discuss that. Also, that's a whole nother conversation. True. But also just the idea that these are like, it has to be one or the other, one dominating the other is what, it's to me is harmful. Let us just coexist and give each other space to be in our complete and honest selves. Hmm. I like that. Um, I have um, Angela commenting that um, I'm teaching my daughter to be her own person. Nobody will ever make her feel she needs to conform to certain norms to be an ideal partner. She is seven and believe you me, no one walks over her. I love that. I love There's nothing as fierce as a Fierce, fierce little girl. I yes. love that. Absolutely. Love that. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't, I don't have, I don't have girls. I have two boys, oh, but, yes. um, believe you me, obviously be, having a woman at home who's mm. me, their mother. I mean, I carried them for nine months after yes. all, you know, so they, they need to be, they need to be good to me and mm -hmm. look after me. Uh, but more importantly, you know, on a serious note, we, we, we raise them, uh, to, to be, you know, fine gentlemen. I mean, there's no guarantee that as a, as a parent, your, your kids mm. are going to turn out to mm. whatever that you would have, for lack of a better word, groomed them to be, you know, because mm. obviously as a parent, you, you, you guide them, but, um, best of all, kids learn from, 
your actions yes. I mean your, your kids can only copy what they see yes. so it's not so much about what comes out of your yes. mouth you know it's all very well yes. that I can tell my my boy peanuts uh, uh, to other kids mm. if I'm Bullying people uh, on Twitter, hiding behind a, a Twitter mm-hmm. handle. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? A lot of a lot of parents do that. You know, if 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 my child has um, hit another uh, child in the playground, it it, it will worry me as mm-hmm. a as a parent because not only because am I worried about my reputation as a mother, but it's because I want for those parents to know that I do not condone my child's actions. Exactly. But there's only so much you can do because once your child leaves the door. Leaves the house Mm. Not much is in your Your control control. Right Mm -hmm. But at the same time You still have that responsibility As a a parent Mm -hmm. We we agree on that Yeah Mm -hmm. So You know Do you believe that By focusing on gender We are denying the existence Of violence against men And I ask this Because I saw a comment From a guy stating Cindy Mangele Killed Mm. Flubber Yes she did Is she trash too? He's asking Mm. And he goes on to say When you say men are trash Are you also referring to your dad? <laughs> yeah, I've seen that quite a few times And it's always so interesting to me that um, it's The men are trash hashtag is taken so personally um, And it's, again, it's never was intentioned to talk about specific men But we're talking about a serious, serious crisis in our country And the statistics back it up Overwhelmingly we have an issue where men behave in very trashy ways. Um, so, I, like, I, I I give it very little attention when uh, men want to do this thing where they're like, well, what about your father? My father is a wonderful human being. He brought me up, you know, with a great deal of attention, love, and care. But the fact is, as a man, he has benefited from patriarchy. There are things that implicitly went to him that would not have gone to my mother, who is as talented as he is, who is... As focused and committed in the workplace But because she was a woman In the time that she was There's just things that she did not get So in terms of like men are trash We're talking about patriarchy We're talking about a system that is very very problematic We're talking about real life statistics That are in our face every day We see it on Twitter, we see it on the news So yes, men are trash Is my father trash? In the, the sense that yes on In terms of the entire overwhelming arc Yes, he is, as a man who has benefited from a very, very toxic system. So, I, yeah, for me, I, I, it's not something I take personally at all. My, half the men in my family are men. Yeah, well, half the men in my family are men. <laughs> <laughs> it's, we, we get it. We you get understand it. what I'm saying? Yes, I've got brothers, do. cousins, yes. who I love implicitly. But we must talk about these things honestly. And it's not going to be comfortable. It's never going to be comfortable. But it is the truth that there is a crisis. And men have overwhelmingly benefited from a very harmful system that we must dismantle. Hmm. You know, I, I must say I had a, I had a smile on my face. Throughout all of this, I mean, this has been going on for at mm. least two, three weeks now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Longer, obviously, femicide, as you stated earlier on, femicide has been yeah. on, it's not new. in our existence mm-hmm. uh, for the last, I don't know how many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always, um, you know, feel that there is hope. Whenever I come across uh, comments, um, I mean, this, this is another Facebook uh, post from Debojo uh, Molapisani, who is my Facebook friend. Mm. And so he he comments. Sorry, I've got. I'm I'm a bit nasal. Eh? Mm, I'm, I'm recovering from <laughs> flu. So yes, pardon me. Anyway, 
So he says, remember when the whole nation united on Zuma must fall, the hashtag Zuma must fall. Mm-hmm. I want that outrage against femicide. That's Tebukho. Thank you, Tebukho. So do I. And I, and I, and I thought, you know, there are men out there. We, we all, I mean, let's not, uh, you know, let's give credit where it's due. Mm-hmm. There, there are men out there who are outspoken and who are asking, okay, so you're throwing all these hashtags at us, but how can we help? Right? So, I mean, I feel it's befitting to share this. It's, it's a very long, um, message from Stefan van der Weesthaisen, mm-hmm. who's another Facebook friend of mine. And he goes, there is no outrage from men like myself. Only logic observations, which concludes that the hashtag is a silly knee-jerk reaction, devout of truth and without action. The the hashtag will fade into obscurity within a week. And so far, it has failed to stop the rapes this week. And I doubt it will stop any rapes next week. And he goes on to say, the hashtag is also divisive. Because it excludes rather than includes the, the men you are trying to get to stand up for violence visited upon the women in our country. What, what would you like to say to that? Yeah. Um, first of all, I don't know that anyone expected, uh, for the men are trash hashtag to end violence against women. I think Stephen is being extremely <laughs> mischievous with that statement. So like, it, it, no, it was an expression. It was an expression of outrage, of exhaustion, of just complete, you know, anger. Um, around a real problem in our country. So there's that. Um, for the idea that, uh, the hashtag is divisive, um, that it is, it's not going to, it's not going to spur men into action. I would really disagree because men have been spurred into action. The fact that they're even talking about it. I mean, every year, Sonia, you see it. We have campaigns round the clock. We've got the 16 days. We've got the 30, 365 days. We, you know, we bring back our girls and so on and so forth. When do you see men in any way en masse talking about violence against women the way they have now that men are trash is a thing? They have never been part of this party. It is a fact. They have never been roused out of their comfortable little sofas to contribute to the conversation, even if it is, you know, to disagree with it. They've never felt in any way affected. They've never felt in any way. So a guy will literally sit and be like, well, I'm not a rapist. I don't abuse. So therefore, I'm not involved. 365 days, 16 days has nothing to do with me. So Men Are Trash has had the incredible effect of making them very uncomfortable. And I'm so glad of it because now we're talking. And from talk comes action. So I know there's a lot of, well, you know, we need more than talk. We need action. We need ha- hashtag activism is going to get us anywhere. It's getting us somewhere, quite frankly. There was a march this past weekend. There's a start. There's going to, there, there is more. And for the first time, men are actually emotionally invested. And they haven't been, if they're honest with themselves. Very few men have actually been spurred. To, it's, it's just not a thing. It's not a thing that's in any way affected them. It's not bothered them. It's not something that they felt in any way actually matched to them. Unless, God forbid, you know, somebody in their family had been touched by the scourge of violence against women. But for the first time, I'm sure if we were to troll Stefan's posts from the day Facebook began <laughs> up until today, <laughs> he has never made a single post about violence against women. I can always put money on it. But all of a sudden, guys who have never spoken about violence against women are crawling out of the woodwork and discussing this. So for me, it has been an incredibly, incredibly effective hashtag. And it's, it was not in any way a campaign. It was an expression. And as an expression, it has, it has had a very powerful effect, I found. Hmm. Mm. Interestingly enough, you went on to say, 
I'm, 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 I'm loving this. Like I said, it was a very, very, very long mm. post, which I enjoyed reading. Yeah. The, 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 the next paragraph from Stefan reads, to blame all men for the actions of a minority of savages. In I'm the rolling midst, my eyes right now. In the midst <laughs> would be just as unfair as me saying, hashtag women are gold digging. Mm, I'm mm-hmm. not going to say the last part. Mm-hmm. So, again, you, I say, look, the fact is we have a crisis. It is a real crisis. And we don't have time for your sensitive um, hurt feelings at a time we're literally getting killed. We really don't. It's either you get up and do something about it and stop whining about the fact that you aren't a rapist, you aren't an abuser. That is really relevant. Your personal situation has nothing to do with a crisis. Get up and do something. The country's in a crisis and you're sitting here saying that you're not a rapist. That's just not good enough to me. It's just not good enough. We, ex- I just expect better. And I, like, and I love the way that men by this hashtag are being challenged to do better. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. I must say, I agree. Mm. Michelle Obama was quoted saying, let's be very clear. Strong men, men who are truly role models, don't need to put down women to make themselves feel powerful. People who are truly strong lift others up. People who are truly powerful bring others together. Any man who uses his strength to oppress women is a coward and is holding back the progress of his family and his country. Mic drop. There it is. It's, it's really as simple as all that. She encapsulated it all. And, you know, if, if we are going to be very honest, we must take responsibility. We must accept unpleasant truths because you cannot fix a problem, Sonia, until you name it. And that is a problem I have with men who become so defensive around men are trash. I'm saying we're, we're sitting in the face of a real epidemic. And all you want to do is point out the fact that you're an exception to the rule. That is not helpful. It's not going to take us forward. So take it on the chin. We have a crisis and it is perpetuated by people of your gender overwhelmingly. And talk to me about how it is you're going to fix it. I mean, I think about these things a lot. Um, and there was a point I was even trying to get into the the head of, you know, the not all men brigade to really like, what is this instinct and this, this insistence on being defensive? What is this knee jerk first reaction of like, well, I don't do that. And the only thing I could relate it to is, um, how I felt the discomfort I felt when South Africans were being called out around xenophobia. Um, as you know, I do a lot of traveling around this continent. Um, I grew up in different parts of this continent. Um, and I consider the entire continent home. And it's very painful to go and visit a place where people are so welcoming. You know, we all know about African hospitality. It is legendary. And to be confronted with the question of like, why are you killing us? And the first thing I wanted to say, and I stopped myself was, I'm not like that, literally, or an approximation. Well, not all, hashtag not all South Africans. But I can't do that. Because the fact is we do have a problem of xenophobia in this country. And I had to confront this person's pain to be like, I am very sorry. It is so, so wrong. We do have our own issues. There are some deep-seated self-hatred issues that manifest in very, very dangerous ways against our brothers and sisters from other countries. And I'm so very sorry. That has to, that, that has to be the way we respond. We cannot retreat into, well, I don't do that. So I don't know why you're pointing a finger at me because I'm not that kind of guy. It's just not good enough. I expect better. Do better. Sure. Mm. Well, 
Marang, thank you so, so much for the time that you've spent with me. Thank I, I really, I really me. appreciate it. And, and I mean, I, I knew you were the right person uh, to have uh, these sorts of uh, conversations. And it's a pity Zek did not fall in. I'm so in. disappointed. I, th- I, think, I was I think ready. He, I think he's scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> Zek, if you're listening in, um, you missed your opportunity to phone in because um, um, Marang was waiting for you and uh, like I threatened you already on, on Facebook. <laughs> That's the problem you threatened him. <laughs> No, but you know, he, he can hide behind his uh, Facebook. Uh, it's uh, easy to do that. It's easy to do that. So, I mean, it, it was not a, a threat that I was going to take up. But I mean, mm. Zach, you know, th- this is all, um, you know, it, it's, it's, we, we try to, have these conversations um, in a not so serious manner. I don't want to say in a humorous mm. manner because you can. It's not possible to have such conversations and, openly, and and make yeah. light of it. But you, we, we, we gotta have them in. in you know, with, with you know a bit of um, humor in it, a little bit of humor, touch mm. of humor, so that we don't get overly sensitive, we don't get emotional, and then we don't react in a in a dramatic way where you can, cannot even express your views for the other person to understand right. where you're coming from. Yeah. Right. Because remember, it's supposed to be a dialogue completely. And I think it's important also to be willing to defend your ideas. You know, the minute that you say something publicly and to be clear, Facebook is public. You need to be able to defend your ideas. And I'm not saying Zach had a responsibility to be here. Um, Not necessarily. No. But what I was looking forward to was an interaction where he literally unpacked his ideas, where we sat. I defended my ideas. He defended his. Absolutely. Because then I feel that, you know. One of us is going to walk away with an understanding that, okay, uh, I get it now. I, yes. I get where the next person is coming from. And yes. Because it's, you know, we learn every day. I certainly do. And that's why I love social networks. There's just things, there's so much reading to be done there. Mm. Points of view that I would never have considered. There's, you know, sometimes you get smacked down by somebody who's like, that is a very problematic way to think. Yes. And you're like, oh, okay. But, you know, you learn, you read, you listen. And I think that's what men need to do a lot more of is just being quiet and listening. Because mm. they don't listen. Mm. <laughs> uh, I, I, the male voice is so dominant, mm-hmm. and that's why they talk about you talk too much. Because you're that's right. their problem. Yeah, you're right. Between me and you, <laughs> Palisa and Marang, can I? I'm, I'm I'm going to leave you with uh, something to ponder on. Given the stats, there's three of us ladies in the studio here: myself, Palisa, and Marang. Mm-hmm. One in three women gets raped every day in this country. There's three of us in a room. Mm. You know what that means, exactly. right? Exactly. Exactly. Did you? It's it's so you, real. You, you you followed that, yeah. right? One in three women. Mm. So one of us in this room, mm. right? Statistically, statistically, yeah. will get raped mm. um, or has been by the end of the day today. Mm. Um, so I'm going to leave it at that. But of course, I'm not going to leave without giving you my humble opinion. After all, we are in the opinion booth, and my humble opinion is this: there should be zero tolerance to gender-based violence. Everyone needs to stand up in communities and say this is not acceptable. It is intolerable. Restorative justice is the most powerful thing that can happen to a victim. Moreover, it is important to tackle impunity. It is important to tackle impunity. Aspire to inspire before you expire. Cliffcentral.com